It was 50 years ago today, that is May 5th, 1973, that a gifted Canadian jockey by the name of Ron Turcotte rode secretariat to a great triumph in the Kentucky Derby. And that was just the first of three amazing victories that would constitute Secretariat's uh, amazing run at the Triple Crown 50 years ago. And one way to not only celebrate this great moment in sports history, uh, but also to, also to learn more about the jockey who was riding Secretariat that day, is to read a new book called The Turcots, The Remarkable Story of a Horse Racing Dynasty that tells the story not only of Ron Turcott, but also of four other Turcotts who followed him, in a sense, onto the racetrack and achieved great success of their own. The story of their triumphs and the tragedies that were also a part of their lives and careers is told in this wonderful uh, book by Curtis Stock, uh, who has been following the, the sport of horse racing for many, many decades, an award-winning journalist in the field. In fact, uh, a Canadian Horse Racing Hall of Fame inductee. And uh, he has done a marvelous job with this new book of telling the story of this remarkable family. The book is published by Firefly Books, again titled The Turcots: The Remarkable Story of a Horse Racing Dynasty. Curtis Stock, we welcome you to The Morning Show. Thanks, Greg. How are you? I'm just fine, and I'm so excited to talk with you. And and uh, it's just sort of by luck of the draw that it is exactly the 50th anniversary yeah. to the day of this triumph uh, at the Kentucky Derby. And of course, it's uh, we're talking also on the eve of yet another Kentucky Derby. I have to confess, this is a sport about which I don't know all that much. I mean, I know the big names like Secretariat and Citation and some others, uh, but I but I have never followed this sport very closely. And I want to say at the outset that I found your book so engrossing, even as someone who came to it not knowing a whole lot about this and, and, and frankly, barely even recognizing the name of, of Ron Turcott, I'm sad to say. So your book helps uh, remedy that. And I wonder, did you really consciously write this book uh, for it to appeal to, to people beyond people who already are fans of horse racing? It sort of feels like you did. Yeah, absolutely, I did. It's a, it's a story of uh, triumph and tragedy, but it's a story of five brothers from a lumberjack family from a small impoverished town of Drummond, New Brunswick, which has a population of just 700, and they all went on to such greatness and triumph, led by Ron, the oldest of the five Turcotte jockeys. Yeah, it's certainly a human story uh, beyond the specifics of horse racing, although I really do appreciate that along the way you also tell us a lot about this sport and, and in particular about a lot of the particular challenges that are part of becoming a, uh, a, a jockey at this level. I wonder if you could uh, tell us about kind of the central event in the very first chapter of the book, which is a devastating fire uh, in which the Turcotte family home burns to the ground. They escape with nothing except the clothes on their back and the precious sewing machine that they were able to yeah. rescue. Everything else is gone. And you describe this in rivet detail. Uh, it's interesting, though, that you take as much time as you do for this particular event. Why did you think it was, first of all, the place to begin your book? And also, why did you want to spend so much time uh, chronicling this particular event in the Turcotte family's history. 
Well, I just think that it shows uh, exactly where they came from and, and how poor they were. They had no insurance on the home. Uh, the father of the family had just canceled the the insurance uh, a few days before the fire. He wanted to save some money, and and uh, so he canceled the insurance policy, and they were left with nothing. Hmm. You tell us at one point that uh, that the that the work of lumberjacks was incredibly difficult and dangerous work. At one point, you write, death and danger were bedfellows of loggers and their families. All they could do was accept it and push it as far as they could into the back of their minds. It wasn't a matter of if someone was going to get hurt, it was when. I think that helps us understand why Ron Turcott, uh, one of the 14 children in this family, was so anxious to leave and try to find a different life for himself. Uh, explain what his hopes and dreams were when he headed off to the big city of Toronto. He wanted to get a better job, but uh, unfortunately they found uh, hardly any work, and they were even pick worms at golf courses and cemeteries, getting $3 for a 1,000 worms. Uh, and then uh, they were... Him and his friend, Reg Pelte, were both broke. They were going to return home to New Brunswick, but in 1960, the first Saturday of May, and as you say, 50 years ago, uh, he came down the stairs of the boarding house he and Reggie were living in and found his landlord watching the derby, a race and an event he had never even heard of. And the landlord looked at Ron and said, uh, you know, that's what you should be doing. you got the small stature. You should be what you should be doing. And... Uh, <laughs> Ron said, what's that? And the landlord said, you should be a jockey. And Ron said, what's a jockey? And the landlord said, little guys in the white pants. <laughs> we should mention that Ron had some background with horses. I mean, he may not have yeah. had any idea what the Kentucky Derby was, or maybe didn't even know that there was such a thing as, as horse racing, but he knew a lot about horses. Explain what his background was at that point in time. What had he done with horses before he made this long journey to Toronto? Well, in the lumberjacks uh, situations in the in the forest, it was Ron's job to look after the horses. And uh, he got the horses to haul the logs to the logging mill and haul the logs out of the forest into the streams and rivers where they would form part of the logging uh, camps. So he, while he didn't know anything about thoroughbred racing and had never even heard of the Derby, he knew a lot about horses and he got along very well with horses. Mm. So he and his friend Reggie uh, make the trip to Greenwood Raceway and uh, Reggie gets a job in the kitchen, but Ron gets a job actually working with with horses. Uh, in, in, in various ways. And one of the first jobs he gets there is something called a hot walker. I've never heard this term before. Explain what a hot walker does at a place like the Greenwood Raceway. A hot walker cools off the horses after they've been running either in the race or just in the morning galloping or after works. They walk the horses around to cool them down. And uh, when Ron went to to Greenwood to get uh, the job there and then uh, wound up at Woodbine. That was his job, was to cool down the horses and walk them around. And within two years, he was Canada's leading rider, and the next year he was Canada's leading rider again. (laughs) 
pretty amazing. You tell us that you know, in that uh, two-year journey, uh, an, another step was when he was brought to uh, a training center, and there his task was to be one of the people that helped to break the yearlings. Explain what that term is and how challenging that particular work is. It's very challenging it's to get the horses used to having a saddle on their back and then a human being on their back because thoroughbreds, of course, uh, are wild, uh, high-tempered animals, and uh, they don't like to have anything on their back. But uh, the job of Ron and, and uh, the other guys was to get the horses used to having someone on their back. He proved to be very good at that and ultimately becomes a freelance gallop rider, which is something altogether different. And I suppose that's something that is a little more closely related to uh, the kind of riding that a jockey does when you're a gallop rider. Yeah. When he went to Winfield Farms uh, and got the job, um, the the trainer there said that, uh, you know, Ron, I can tell you've been on horses before. And Ron said, yeah, it was my job to look after the horses. And uh, he he went on and uh, started galloping horses, uh, which was a precursor to him becoming a jockey. Mm-hmm. When he is hired by one Gordon Hunt, uh, Huntley, who runs a public stable and, and really encourages him to, uh, to per- seriously pursue becoming a jockey, one of the things Ron is told right away is that uh, he has to get his weight down, and he's already a yeah. small guy, a very muscular guy. You tell us at that point he had a 28-inch waist and a 42-inch chest, so uh, yeah. the hard work he had done as a lumberjack had left him uh, a very muscular, impressive specimen, but but with a very small frame, and yet uh, that frame was going to have to go all the way down from 128 to right around 105 pounds of weight he had not been uh, since he was 12 years old. And this is one of the themes that comes up repeatedly in your book, the fact that uh, for a jockey at this level, the matter of maintaining weight, reducing weight, maintaining it where it needs to be is one of the most significant uh, challenges, and it was for Ron and for all of his brothers as well. Tell us more about that. Well, almost every jockey has to wage the battle of the bulge, the sweat and saunas and steam boxes that run for miles in rubber suits. They wear layers and layers of clothing, turn up the heat in their cars and drive for hours. Many use diuretics like Lasix to draw the last ounce of water out of their bodies. Many are bulimic and purge themselves. And as you say, Ron was 125 when he came to the track, and he had to get down to 105. Uh, Eves is the youngest of the brothers that weighed 150 pounds and had to get down to 112. Well, Ron is able to uh, get get his weight down to uh, the point where he is a, a viable jockey. And uh, as you describe the, the first races that, uh, that, that he was in, uh, that would be in the year uh, 1961, his first season ultimately uh, uh, consists of 14 mounts with no wins, no second places, no third places. I mean, in other words, uh, it's not a particularly successful start. Uh, tell us what was, uh, in a sense, going wrong, or what is it that, that Ron Turcott had to learn in order to become a better jockey, which, of course, he ultimately managed to do. 
Well, he had to learn everything, really. I mean, uh, one of the first horses that he rode uh, was Whispering Wind. I think it was that, uh, his first horse. And uh, the barn had bet on the horse uh, a couple of races later, but uh, the horse uh, blew the last turn. It was running on its wrong lead. It was running on its right lead, which means it was going further and further to the outside of the track, and the rest of the field passed him on the inside. So he had to get the horses to learn to change and and lead with their left leg around the turns. You also tell us that that one of the the main main skills that he did not possess at the outset uh, was just something as basic as patience that he had to yeah. learn the right kind of patience. And I suppose that's part of what we're talking about is the right kind of balance between patience and aggressiveness. And uh, that's something that ultimately he would learn, but of course didn't understand at the outset. Right. Yeah. Ron was not a very patient person and, uh, but he had to learn that because uh, horses, you can't just let them run as far and as fast as they can at the start of the race. They, they have to be rated so that they have something left for the finish line. And uh, it took Ron uh, all of his first year of riding to learn that. Hmm. Well, by the time he is into his first full year as a jockey, he he has a meteoric rise and ends up being Canada's yeah. leading rider, winning, you tell us, 180 races in 1962. I mean, there's a couple extraordinary things about that. First of all, from such an unpromising beginning to achieving such great success. But I was also kind of staggered to see that name, the number 180. I mean, that that feels like a lot of races. And of course, he didn't win every race, so he had more races than that. But uh, it sounds like an exhausting gauntlet. Was that typical for the sport at that time? Pardon me? Was that a typical gauntlet for a jockey to be riding that many races over the course of a single season? No, no. Everybody, as soon as Ron started winning races, everybody wanted him. He was an apprentice, so he got a weight allowance of seven pounds, and he could ride, and everybody knew he could ride. And uh, so he got on 825 horses in his first full year, and uh, as you say, he was Canada's leading rider. And then in 1963, he won 263 races, so he won even more in his second year in Canada, and again was Canada's leading rider. And by that time, uh, he knew and uh, the other trainers knew that he was too good for Toronto. And he wound up going into the United States. And in 1964, he won 250 races. <laughs> Incredible. One of the things you tell us about Ron Turcotte as he began to uh, enjoy such great success is that for everything that was changing in his life, one of the things that never changed was his humility. Tell us more about yeah. Ron Turcotte's humility and whether or not that remained with him uh, even after he achieved the spectacular fame of of winning actually more than one triple uh, uh, more than one Kentucky Derby yeah no Ron was uh, is a very patient uh, person and uh, he never complains uh, he was paralyzed from the waist down in his spill in New York in 1978 and he never complained he doesn't complain to this day. Uh, if you ask him if he hurts, if he's in pain, he said that would be complaining, and I don't complain. He said uh, that one of the last lines in the book is Ron saying that every day he thanks God for being able to open his eyes. He's uh, without question, I've ever met, and 
the same is true of the other brothers, too. They're very decent, loyal, and humble human beings. Mm. Something else you tell us about Ron Turcotte at this point in his career is you that, that he says— uh, and, and again, this is when he is still a young writer, but already achieving great success. Every race I ride teaches me something. Can you take us behind what's what was at least most likely behind those words uh, spoken by Ron Turcott? Every race I ride teaches me something. Well, as you were saying, uh, he had to learn a lot, and he had to learn to be patient. Yeah, he would often make mistakes of going wide into the last turn or coming up where there was other horses and getting into a blind box and a blind switch where he had to take the horse up and not being able to ride him as the way he wanted to. Uh, some horses like to come from off the pace. Some horses like to go to the top. He had to learn the difference and, and how to ride each of those type of horses. Uh, there was a lot of things that he had to learn. And learn them he did. For those of you joining us, we're speaking with Curtis Stock, author of The Turcots, The Remarkable Story of a Horse Racing Dynasty. It is the story of Ron Turcott, but also of four of his brothers who also became jockeys. I think Noel is the next one uh, to join him and to, to become a jockey, and followed by uh, Rudy and Roger uh, thereafter. Uh, just a quick word about the relationship between these brothers, because that is a very intriguing facet of this story, is that, you know, in a sense, they are uh, very much competitors, sometimes in certain points rather heated or tense competitors, but we get a sense that they were brothers first and that there was a, a, a really unbroken sense of, of loyalty and love between them. Is that fair to say? Yeah, there's no question about that. They all got along very well. And Ron taught Noel how to be a rider, and he taught Rudy how to be a rider. And when Roger came along, he helped set him up. He was uh, he never saw Eves that much because Eves was 20 years younger than Ron. But uh, it was a family that uh, grew up together and stayed together. And, and as I was saying, Ron taught Noel everything, and he taught Rudy everything, and Rudy went on to be probably even a better rider than Ron. At least that's what Ron will tell you. Hmm. And we'll talk uh, uh, in, in just a little bit about some of the trouble that ultimately follows uh, some of the other brothers. It is in 1965 that Ron uh, rides in his first Kentucky Derby. He does not win. Um, I forget. I think he finishes third, maybe. Uh, but not long thereafter, uh, he wins the Preakness, and uh, he is really set on a path towards glory. But, of course, nobody could possibly have, who have, had have anticipated uh, the, the, the extent of the glory that he would enjoy uh, with a certain horse uh, named Secretariat. Um, yeah. First of all, tell us about the horse itself, Secretariat, and what set Secretariat apart, uh, what made him such a special horse? He was, uh, I think, without question, the greatest horse of all time. He uh, had 21 races, and he lost six, or he won 16 of them. But the races that he lost were not his own fault. He had a temperature of 104 in one of the races and probably should never have run. In the Wood Memorial, he had an abscess on his lip, and that was the race right before the Derby. And uh, Ron couldn't ride him. And then in the uh, Woodward, he wasn't ready to to run. 
because uh, Reba Ridge's stablemate, who had won the Derby in the Belmont the year before, couldn't stand up in the slop, and they had Reba Ridge enter in the uh, Woodward, and then they scratched Reba Ridge and put Secretariat in, and Secretariat wasn't ready to run. So the horse is just an amazing horse. And Ron said we never saw the the, the real Secretariat that when he retired as a three-year-old, that he was still just getting better and better as, as he was going along. Right. And the, so, in other words, he had the potential to have been an undefeated horse. Uh, and right. I mean, the, the very yeah. few losses that he had could all be traced to very specific, you know, physical ailments or, or miscalculations with his human handlers. Well, of course, what Secretariat does go on to do uh, is, uh, is win... Uh, uh, racing's triple crown in 1973 and i believe if i remember correctly it had been quite a few years since a horse had won the triple crown just how long a wait had it been it'd been 25 years citation had won it in uh, 1948 and then secretary came along in 1973 mm. and of course there's a lot of attention already for the Kentucky Derby, and you tell us an extraordinarily large television viewing audience watch Secretariat's great triumph. And of course, he also wins the Preakness, but we should remember, in a sense, the greatest moment of that Triple Crown triumph was what happened at the Belmont. Remind our listeners, or for those listeners who do not know this incredible story, what what Secretariat and Ron Turcotte achieved at the Belmont? Well, I won it by 31 lengths, which is uh, absolutely astronomical. Uh, Ron looks back at the top of the lane when he's got the lead and there's no one behind him at all. And the horses keep going faster and faster. And uh, I remember Lucien Laurent saying he was just hoping that Ron didn't fall off because he was so far in front. That was the only way he could possibly lose. But he just kept increasing his lead and his lead from... Sham, who was his main rival, just kept getting bigger and bigger until, as we say, he won by 31 lengths. You call it in the book uh, beyond anything ever seen in horse racing. In other words, we can point to this as the single greatest, most extraordinary triumph any horse and jockey have have ever won in the history of, 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 of horse racing. Is that still true to this day? Yeah, I, uh, the, the records that Secretary had set 25 years ago have still never been broken. He holds the track record and the world record for the Kentucky Derby. He holds the record to still for the Preakness, and he holds the record for the Belmont. So no horse in 50 years has gone as fast as Secretary had been. Mm. Uh, you've already mentioned briefly the, the sad end to Ron Turcotte's riding career uh, in 1978 when he falls from a horse. Was that during training or was that in a race? No, that was in a race in Belmont in, uh, in New York in 1978. The horse to his outside started getting closer and closer to him, and Ron was yelling, Jeff, Jeff, move away. Jeff being Jeff Fell, who was riding the horse on his outside. And the horse kept coming closer until they clipped heels, and Ron was somersaulted and landed on his back. Hmm. He has left a uh, paraplegic uh, in that in that accident. And of course, uh, one of the things that is most amazing, and we read about it in your book, is uh, his courage 
uh, in the face of that that devastating injury and the sudden end to his career. But that is not where the tragedy of the Turcotte family uh, ends. Uh, there are, of course, these other four Turcotte brothers who are also fine jockeys, but three of them, Noel, Rudy, and Roger, all have very serious drinking problems. Can we trace their drinking problems uh, to anything in in particular? Well, they all struggled with, uh, those three in particular struggled with their weight, and they couldn't get their weight down, and, and if, you, if you're not light, then they don't get mounts to ride, and they wound up uh, being hot walkers and cooling off horses instead of being jockeys. They were all limited in the number of mounts they got towards the end of their career, and I guess that was just too much for for Noel and Roger to uh, to live with. You describe a really you know the the sad image of you know particularly Roger, I mean showing up for important events, for important races, for important training sessions, drunk and unable to function, and uh, it's just tragic to think about somebody so gifted. Uh, who yeah. allowed his his own drinking uh, to to in a sense sabotage what what should have been great success? I mean, and he achieved some great success, but otherwise uh, his his career was completely undone uh, by this issue, uh, as it was with the other two brothers. What did that do to the relationship between the brothers? Well, I think that. They were both, uh, I mean, it's, it's too simple to say that they were sad, but uh, they were disappointed, too, that Roger couldn't handle his, his alcohol. And uh, he, he, he started drinking early, and uh, he kept drinking towards the, all right to the end of his career and the end of his life. So tell us where Ron Turcott is now. Ron is in uh, Grand Falls, far from Drummond, where he grew up. Uh, he lives in a beautiful house there. The, the house has one room. It's like a museum. It's filled with trophies and saddles and awards and citations and certificates and press clippings. And it's a magnificent house that he has in Grand Falls. And uh, and you tell us uh, his humility and and grace is uh, is fully intact. I assume that you had the opportunity to sit down extensively with him for the writing of this book. Yeah, he was when we were there uh, in New Brunswick. I spent two days with him there. Uh, there was a knock on the door one uh, one evening, and two ladies had driven up from Kentucky just to get Ron's autograph. And uh, he didn't have to out and got a picture of that iconic photo of him winning the Belmont by 31 lengths and happily signed it for them and talked to the ladies for quite a, quite a length. Hmm. Well, it is a, an incredible story told very, very well in your book, The Turcots, the remarkable story of a horse racing dynasty. The book is published by Firefly Books, and it includes quite a number of photographs, uh, including uh, photographs that capture some of the most dramatic moments uh, in the uh, careers of these Turcotte brothers, including, of course, most notably, Ron Turcotte. And uh, Curtis Stock, the author. Curtis Stock, thank you so much for giving the world this really interesting book, and thank you for being my morning show guest. It was great to speak with you. Well, it was great to be on. Thanks, Craig. I appreciate it.